Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including gathering times and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Rob Basham. Thank you, Natalie and team, for leading us so well this morning. Church family, I'm glad you're here this morning. Special greetings to those of you joining us on live stream. We're glad that you're here with us as well, especially to the group that's meeting in Lincoln City that meets there every week. We're so happy that you guys are with us. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here at Sam Alliance Church. And before we jump into the Word of God this morning, I just want to give you one quick staff update. As you know, we have a ministry training college here called Reach Training Institute. And uh, our longtime leader of that, Dr. Steve Dan Guerin, has moved on to some other things. He continues to be a professor emeritus with us. But we've been on the hunt for a new leader for this, this training college the last couple of months. And I'm here today to tell you that we found someone a familiar face to some of you, but Matt Boda will be taking over and leading the charge at RTI. Uh, we, we are super excited about Matt and Jamie coming back to Salem and being part of our community. Many of you know them, they're familiar to many of you, and so you understand why we are so excited. We're in week three of our series, The Bible Says What?, and we're looking at these confusing passages that we read through Scripture, and we say, that is just really, really strange. You see, the Word of God is a powerful book, and we come under its authority. We come under its training. And one of the things that we're doing through this series is we're wanting to remind ourselves of the power of this book, how it is useful for so many things. And so we're looking at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I want to read that again. I'm hoping it's becoming familiar to you. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip us as his people to do every good work. That is why we open this book every week. We come under its authority, but there's an equipping work. There's a convicting work. And so we love the word of God. And at the same time, one of the things I like about the word of God is the fact that it wasn't edited. All the weird stuff isn't taken out. There's a lot of weird things in here. That's actually refreshing to me, but it also causes us to ask some strange questions sometimes, and so this series, we're tackling some of those, those questions with humility, understanding that we might not have it all right and that the interpretations could be many. Two weeks ago, I kicked off the series, and I started by looking at Mark 8 and this story where Jesus spits on a blind man's eyes. He restores his sight only partially and then fully, and I thought it was a pretty strange passage, but my preaching team got on me a little bit. They're like you kind of wimped out a little bit. You took a pretty, there's some significantly more difficult passages in scripture, and they may have been right. Ephraim didn't weep, wimp out last week. He tackled 1 Peter 3, 18 to 22, and just some strange concepts. That's a difficult passage that many commentators have struggled with. And uh, so anyway, I've decided this week I'm going to go for something a little bit more difficult. I know, you know, when I kicked off the series, I encouraged many of you to email Brian Candelo some difficult passages. One or two of you did that, but I think more of you actually came at me. And uh, I just want you to know, I hear you. I'm going after some of those passages today. Um, but where, where we're, we're going today is actually an interesting passage found in the Psalms. Psalm 82. Psalm 82. I'll put it on the screen here for you. I'll be looking at the NLT. I'll be reading it here for you. It's an interesting passage. It's talking about something that's happening in the heavenly realms, in this kind of heaven's court. 
these, these people that are assisting God in his carrying out his judgments and his justice, and they haven't been doing a good job, and so there's almost this conviction happening. Psalm 82, God presides over heaven's courts. He pronounces judgment on the heavenly beings. How long will you hand down unjust decisions by favoring the wicked? Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. But these oppressors know nothing. They are so ignorant. They wander about in darkness while the whole world is shaken to the core. I say, you are gods. You are all children of the Most High. But you will die like mere mortals and fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God, and judge the earth. For all the nations belong to you. This is the word of the Lord. And if you're confused by the reading of that passage, I was too. <laughs> A lot going on here. Hey, I don't know what, how your rhythms in life are. I know that I have some yearly rhythms in life that oftentimes I have to set reminders to kind of understand and remember to do things, whether it's to get the rabies shot for the dog, to change the furnace filters or the smoke alarm detector batteries. I don't know. I'm sure you have these regular rhythms, these yearly reminders that you need. Here at St. Alliance Church, we have yearly reminders as well with different things that we want you to know. Some are spiritual, some are not. Like one of the yearly reminders that we try to get out there often is, did you know we actually have evacuation plans? here at Sam Alliance? I hope you do. We try to talk about it every single year. I mean, if something happened, there'll be a slide that goes up on the screen. I will remain calm. And I'll be like, you know, here, here's the deal. We got these exits right here. We want you to exit here. Don't go get your kids. They have their own evacuation plans. When you get outside, we'll tell you where to meet up with your kids. We'll, we, we got it all planned out. We've got this whole plan. We, we work on it. We update it all the time. And you've just, that's your yearly reminder. There you go. You've been reminded. But there's also, there, there's some spiritual reminders that I believe that we often need to have. And one of those that I want to share with you today is though everything in our world, in our rational, scientific mind tells us otherwise, there's an unseen realm. There is a unseen realm. There's a spiritual world out there and there are spiritual beings at play. You see, we see it mentioned in scripture, yet we don't talk about it a lot. Sometimes we'll, we'll make reference to angels or, or demons even or to Satan. But throughout scripture, we see these, these heavenly beings at work, some good, some bad. I mean, you, you're probably familiar with Ephesians 6.12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's a really weird verse. If you really live like that is true, do we let that sit in sometimes? That's just the dark side. That's, a, that's dealing with those that have rebelled. And we'll get to that and how that happened later. But there's also this heavenly realm that's the good guys, the, the, the carrying out the ways of God, providing protection for his people. Throughout scripture, there are numerous spiritual beings that are mentioned. Oftentimes, we just classify them all as angels, good angels, fallen angels, or the demonic. And, 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 but really, there's, there's, a, there's a list of spiritual beings throughout scripture. I mean, we have archangels, we have the angel of the Lord, we have seraphim, we have cherubim. I mean, we're all familiar with cherubim. Here's a picture of cherubim. 
Um, these, this is a cherubim. This is what this, they're the fierce, mighty, powerful, intimidating creatures that guide, that guard the holy places. They're the spiritual bodyguards. And I have no idea why this is how we depict them because they are so scary and fierce. And scripture lets us know they're like hybrids of like fierce, vicious animals with wings. And that's a chubby baby with wings that would not scare you away from a holy place. And so, but we do, we have these different spiritual beings uh, that we see throughout scripture. And in addition, you know, here in Psalm 82, we have this depiction of this council, this heavenly court that God presides over. It's often referred to by theologians as the divine council. It's a group of spiritual beings. And it's, it's fascinating. My hope today is for us to take a look at this reality, to define what the divine counsel is, to see where it's mentioned throughout scripture, to, to figure out what it is, what it's not, to uh, see what it's called, to see what the purposes of the divine counsel are, and to provide for us a reminder that there is a spiritual realm. And in that, I also believe this morning, there's a significant invitation for each of us. So this morning, we're going to be in the classroom for a little bit. We're not going to end there, but we are going to be in the classroom a little bit. So let's look at the divine counsel, the fact that there are these spiritual beings exists, which for many of us, as the Bible says, what moment? In addition to Psalm 82, we see this counsel mentioned a couple other places in scripture. In Jeremiah 23, they're called the counsel of Yahweh. In 1 Kings 22, which we will spend some time looking at this fascinating passage this morning, they're called the host of heaven on his right and on his left. Psalm 29 and throughout the book of Job, especially Job verses 1 and 2, they're called the sons of God. And in Psalm 89, we see them, they have a couple different phrases that kind of give us different names for this divine counsel. We'll throw that up here. This is the NIV. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too, in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the counsel of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. What is going on? It seems like God has this team of players around him. Yahweh among the Elohim. Please understand that this council, what they are not, they are, this council, the people on this council are not on a level with God. Simply because he created them. They are creatures, created beings. We're not advocating that the people of Israel or the church today is in any way polytheistic. God is not the great God among other gods. He is God. He created these council members. The other thing that's important for us, right off the bat, we see nothing throughout scripture that even hints, that even hints at the idea that God needed help that he needs a divine counsel to encourage him or give him ideas or affirm his decisions. We see that nowhere in scripture. He is all-knowing. He is omniscient. This is totally confirmed in Colossians 1, 15 to 7. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and he is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made things we can see, the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. 
Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. This is fascinating to me personally. The fact that God decided to invite this council of spiritual beings that he doesn't need to be on his team to help carry out plans and purposes that he wants to see happen. So what is it that this divine council does? Good question. Well, we see that they administer justice. They carry out judgment. They carry out tasks that the Lord decides that he wants to have carried out. Administer justice, judgment, and carry out tasks. One of the places that we see this clearly articulated is in a fascinatingly confusing story that we see in 1 Corinthians or 1 Kings 22, verses 19 to 23. There was a, a Bible study group that was meeting uh, a week and a half ago, and they actually they got together, and they're like, this passage is so confusing to us. So they texted me. They said, the Bible says what? Go after this passage. This is for them. Here we go. Here's, here's the scenario that's happening. There's a king who's gone kind of evil. He's a murderous king, King Ahab. And it's clear that to restore justice and bring judgment upon him, the Lord wants him removed from his position. And so we pick up the story in verse 19. Then Micaiah continues, listen to what the Lord says. I saw the Lord sitting on the throne with his armies, with his council of heaven around him, on his right and his left. And the Lord said, who can entice Ahab to go into battle against Ramoth Gilead so that he can be killed? There were many suggestions. What? God is sitting at this table. He needs to get rid of a king. I mean, there's countless ways that he could simply do it. And yet he invites this team to give him some ideas. Guys, what's the best way to get rid of this king? Fascinating. Finally, a spirit approaches the Lord and says, I can do it. How will you do this, the Lord asks. The spirit replies, I will go out and inspire all of King Ahab's prophets to speak lies. You will succeed, the Lord said. Go ahead and do it. So the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of his prophets. The Lord has pronounced his doom. Fascinating. <laughs> but here's a perfect example of the divine counsel coming, bringing ideas to God, the creator, the one who created them. They're kind of part of his team. And then they're carrying out a judgment. They're restoring justice on behalf of God. And yes, it's strange, but this is what's happening. It's one of the purposes of this divine counsel. As I studied for this and consulted different experts and commentaries, probably the clearest definition that I found about the purpose of the divine council was actually in the Bible Project podcast. Here's, here's how they describe the divine council. They say they are God's staff team, his agents of delegated authority that mirror his earthly staff team, us. We're his earthly staff team who also have delegated authority. These spiritual beings are portrayed as honoring the one who created and rules them. And they also are invited by God to participate in making decisions and carrying them out. The divine counsel. I hope you understand it. I hope it's totally clear to you right now, right? <laughs> and yet, here's the thing, right? These are the good guys. They are carrying out the ways of God. And yet, as we saw in Ephesians 6, that there seems to be some rogue players, some people that seem to be the bad guys in this narrative as well. And it's true. There are. There are those that rebelled. And, and we need to also take a look at that. 
Because there was a rebellion that happened. Just as humanity rebelled against God and the free choice and free will that they had been given, so was there a spiritual rebellion. This happened because humanity, just like the spiritual beings, there's this power and this desire for power and a desire to be God-like. And so we see these parallel rebellions in Scripture. We see these two rebellions. You know of the one of humanity that happened in the garden and continued to just happen throughout the stories of Scripture. But it's important for us to step back and take a look at this. Throughout this series, we've been giving you these tools for understanding Scripture. And on week one, I gave you a tool how you need to look at things in context. You need to, to, to look at what's happening before and after. You can't just cherry-pick Scriptures. Last week, Efren talked to you about the importance of using commentaries, how commentaries allow us to see some of the nuances in the original language, how commentaries give us a historical and a cultural perspective that we might miss. I consulted a whole lot of commentaries in pre to, to prep this talk today. But the tool that I want to give you today is simply that I want to give you freedom to actually sometimes step back and look at the full arc of Scripture. I think it's important to step back and look at the full storyline of Scripture. You're not going to understand Psalm 82 unless you see kind of the full narrative of what is happening. That's why we're throwing so much scripture at you today. And I'm sure there's a lot of rabbit trails you're getting ready to run on. But please come back. You can look at those later. But one of the great ways to do this, honestly, this incredible organization called the Bible Project that was born in Portland, what they're putting out always points us. It's one big story that points to Jesus. That's their mission. And they put out videos and podcasts and PDFs and all sorts of things that can help us to figure out some of these things. If you want to wade into these, these topics of spiritual beings and the divine council, they actually have a five-part video series that could help you, give you a bit of a Cliff Notes look at this. But back to this unified story. There's a rebellion in the spiritual realm. There's a rebellion in the human realm because of a desire for power and to be godlike. It seems that Satan is the first one in the council to defect, the first one to go rogue. Isaiah 14 kind of gives us this glimpse of this, this angel that wants to be like God, and it says that he says in his heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will make myself like the most high. He might be the first, but he takes others with him, including humanity. But we see an incredibly nasty rebellion that happens in Genesis 6. Genesis 6 is the ultimate, the Bible says what, chapter, right? Genesis 6 is this weird, weird story where we have the Nephilim, right? And I know, like, if I had courage, I would have just preached on the Nephilim, but I don't have that much courage. So let me just try to touch on this really quickly. This crazy thing is happening in Genesis 6, where it seems that these spiritual beings come and take women on earth as their brides. The simplest explanation that I can give you, I humbly offer this to you, it seems that the spiritual beings are looking to obtain eternal life by procreating with humanity. But here's the issue. It's an ultimate act of rebellion. Because these are the people that they were created to serve and protect. And now they are carrying out one of the gravest injustices upon them that's possible. And it continues to just get weird. It's why we see giants in the land throughout the Old Testament. When the spies go to take the promised land and they come back and they're like, we're like grasshoppers. These people are huge. We have a story of Goliath. It's just, the Bible says what? It's strange. But what's important for us to understand here is that there's this desire for power and to be godlike. 
But we see the rebellion go further in Genesis 10 and 11, and we're stepping back and looking at the full arc of the story. But there we have the story of Babel, and the people in Babylon, they want to be godlike, so they build this tower to get to the heavens, to, to be with the Most High, just like Satan wanted to do. He wanted to sit enthroned in the heavenlies. And so they're doing this. We know the story. It fails, and they, they get scattered. And while we see that story as a very, that's the human side, there's also something in the spiritual realm happening at the same time. We see that because we hyperlink it back to Deuteronomy 4 and Deuteronomy 32, and we see that there was a spiritual rebellion happening at the same time. And we see clearly that, that, that God actually takes the nation of Israel for himself, but he has signs and he allots his divine counsel to oversee these other nations. And, and in that, some of those nations do great, but some of those nations, those divine or those spiritual beings want glory for themselves and their Therefore, the Canaanites and different people, they're worshiping these idols, and idolatry is full-on display. And this is the full narrative of Scripture. And it's important for us to have that understanding, to step back, to fully understand what is happening here in Psalm 82. Because now, with that understanding, we go back to Psalm 82, and it says that God presides over this council, over heaven's court, but he's pronouncing judgment on the heavenly beings. Why? Because they hand down unjust decisions by favoring the wicked. And they're not giving justice to the poor and the orphan or upholding the rights of the oppressed or destitute. They're not carrying out that which they were created and told to do. They are in rebellion. And it says that these oppressors know nothing. They are so ignorant. The rebellion, the rogue crew are ignorant. They know nothing. They wander about in darkness, it says, while the whole world is shaken to the core. The psalmist says, because of this parallel rebellion, the whole world is shaken to the core. We're left with a world that is in chaos because there's been a parallel rebellion that has happened. Church, we were created to worship, glorify God, and carry out his plans and purposes, and it got messed up. We've been given this free will, and we grieved God with our choice. The spiritual beings grieve God with his choice, but good news, he's redeeming it all. And so this overall story reminds us that there is an unseen realm at work. There is spiritual beings at play. And sometimes, church, in our rational minds, we need a reminder that this is how it is. For me, sometimes it helps to reminisce on those moments in life where I know there was other things involved, where I know I was operating in a spiritual realm. You have those stories as well where a, a peace that transcends all understanding came upon you or that time where you just sensed that there was evil present or in the room where you prayed against it. You have those, remember those times, continually operate in those. I've had many of those in my life. One of those, when we had moved to this new city in the Middle East, Aqaba, Jordan, and we, we had been there for a little while, and this is 10 miles from Saudi Arabia, and I remember uh, a friend of mine from the States came out he was a pastor, and he said, hey, we need to go pray over the city. Let's find a high place and just declare truth over the city, because these minarets are declaring false truth all the time. So let's go find a high place. So we did. We drive through this really poor neighborhood, a suppressed neighborhood, and we drive all the way through it. We get to the kind of the top of this mountain, the, the, the highest place that we could be in a vehicle. We get out of the car, and we start just declaring truth over the city. We're looking at things through spiritual lens, and we're declaring truth over the city, and we're going for it. Just going for it, praying these different things. When he touches me on the shoulder and he's like, and I look behind us and a pack of eight wild dogs has just crept up on us. And both of us knew right away that we're operating in the spiritual, not the natural right now. 
These dogs didn't just like come want to hear our prayers. They want us gone. And I'll never forget that moment. And we just quietly, we just, we just prayed against them. And we quickly just backed up to the car. And we got in that van. We took a deep breath. Our hearts were pounding as we drove down the hill. But it was a reminder. There is an unseen realm at work. Game on. Game on. In church, those stories don't just happen in other countries. Those stories happen here. The thing is, our rationalistic, individualistic society sometimes blinds us to the fact that that stuff is happening all the time. But friends, game on. Church family, we don't want to see uh, evil behind every little thing that happens. We don't want to over-spiritualize things, but we are in church. So let's just be honest. Let's, let's don't ignore the fact that there's a spiritual realm. When you read and watch the chaos in the world, remember the world has been shaken to its core because of rebellion. Recognize why it is so. When miracles occur, don't just write them off as a fluke. When the peace that transcends all understanding, it's not just because you ate a good meal. We need these reminders to understand that that chance meeting might not just be a coincidence. Rich Velotis, in his new book, Good, Beautiful, and Kind, says this. He says, we can't understand the fragmentation we experience in our world without expanding our language for the forces that fill the world and influence us. This is one place where scripture comes in handy in giving categories large enough to understand the evil that is curving the world and our own hearts in on itself. My prayer is that you leave today recognizing that the world is spiritual, though it does a really good job disguising it. May you not forget that truth. May you receive the reminder that there are angels and the demonic warring in the spiritual realm. This is your yearly reminder. To understand, and, and, and this, you know, I, when I finished college, I took a job. I was actually a science teacher. It was my first job out of school. For two years, I taught science in an inner city school in Boston. And it was so um, incredible experience to be able to see the empirical world through naturalistic terms and get to teach these young, young boys and girls just the value of sight and experience and the national, natural order and ability to see and understand problems from an earthly perspective, to create a hypothesis and test it. It's such an important thing. And, Yet also, as a trained theologian, I leave plenty of room. Don't ignore faith and miracles and heavenly perspective, the sacred and the transcendent. Church, there's, there's more here for us. And what I'm offering you today is not just a reminder, just not a way to think about the world or categorize things. There's an invitation here. Because though I don't understand it, why God desires to have a spiritual heavenly team and an earthly team, he operates in team. And in his wisdom, God has created and invited the divine council to stand in his presence. He graciously allows them to participate in various judgments and decrees. They will be around his throne worshiping in heaven. We've gotten glimpses of that in Revelation. But also, don't miss this, in his wisdom, he also created humans in his image, you and me, to be his presence through Holy Spirit. He graciously allows us to participate in his kingdom's advance. And so we stand confused, but humbled and honored, and I hope ready to embrace the invitation to take his peace and his presence everywhere we go. 
Psalm 8 is one of my favorites. It starts off by just magnifying the name of the Lord, but it quickly changes. And the psalmist says, what are, we are mere mortals that you should think about us, human beings that you should care. Yet you made us only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. This is the truth. I don't know why, but he chooses to give us authority, incredible authority to be his earthly counsel, to carry out his plans and his purposes. This is our invitation. This is our privilege to partner with what he is doing, to walk in authority, to bring peace wherever we go, to bring peace to our cities. Because church, let me remind you, you are righteous people and your prayers are powerful. It says so in James 5. We are ministers of reconciliation. Breaking injustices and making things right and proclaiming that the kingdom of God is here. We are praying on earth as it is in heaven. We are bringing the ways of the kingdom into the here and now. For decades, the last couple of decades, the church has allowed apologists to be raised up because our culture has been on a truth encounter. They're wanting to understand truth, and so they're looking for theologians that can rationally make sense of everything that happens in Scripture, in the history of the church, and it's been good, and great apologists have been born, and they have led people to faith in Jesus. But friends, can I just suggest that our culture is changing, and less people are looking for truth, and now more people are looking for a power encounter, and they're looking to experience something that is unexplainable. They want the transcendent. This is why horoscopes and tarot cards are trending. This is why you can go on Airbnb and try to spend a night in a haunted house. People want to experience this transcendent thing. And the good news, church, is that we can give it to them. The good news is that we are spirit-filled people that can give it to them. And we can give it in a way that brings them freedom and that brings them the peace and that doesn't harm them. Because many are looking for it and they're being harmed and they're being uh, held captive as a result. And so this is our invitation to recognize that we have spidey senses. They're not a marvel-induced feeling. And with great power comes great responsibility. Say it, with great power comes great responsibility. Ours looks pretty different, though. If you're a spirit-filled follower of Jesus, partnering in his kingdom work, it is a great privilege, and it is a powerful thing. And so, church, may we put on the armor of God. May we recognize when we have to take a defensive posture. May we engage. May we war for our families. May we war for, for our city in powerful ways because there is a rebel council at work. And may we recognize the, team, the times that we're called to be on the offense, taking ground for the kingdom of God calling upon Holy Spirit to be at work within us, bringing peace to tragedy, healing to brokenness, dreams and visions to those who are searching, vision and hope to those who are helpless, clarity to those walking in deception. It's why we were created. I'm not sure why he chooses to utilize us to carry it out, but he does. We're part of his team. Church family, there's an unseen realm. May we not forget it. This is your yearly reminder. Let's live like it's true. In Jesus' name. Let's pray. Jesus, we declare that you are, you're it. <laughs> you have no rival. You have no equal. 
We've sung it this morning, and we believe that it is true. And for some reason, you desire to partner with us to carry out your ways, to bring redemption to the world. So we say we're here. We're willing. We're humbled. It's a privilege to partner with you. So give us eyes to see what you're doing in the spiritual realm. Give us courage to walk in it. Allow us to bring freedom and healing and proclaim the word of God is true. We declare that it is good, and we love you. We worship you this morning, supreme over all. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.